number one, Caleb Lohner. He's going to have a double-double, Dave. But is that for lunch or is that on the floor? <laughs> you think you said you'd shave your head if you lost, right? Nope. Oh, dang it. Didn't say <gasps> Shoot. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. You just brought up Greg Rubel. Who better to speak with on this day than the man who, as we mentioned, is calling the match tonight live on BYU Radio. Greg Rubel from the Bay Area, BYU and Santa Clara. Greg, it's fantastic to have you on this Friday show, and it's amazing to be talking College Cup finally for this BYU women's soccer team. Yeah, morning, Spencer. Morning, Dave. Uh, yeah, this is Jennifer Rockwood's 27th season in the game as BYU's head coach. And her illustrious career, which includes so many, you know, resume milestones among the very best in the game for more than a quarter century now. And, and finally, she gets to coach in her first college cup. I'm thrilled for her. Of course, very excited for this team that took heartbreak from the spring and, and turned it into this triumph in the fall and really used what happened in the spring to get to this point. And it's kind of cool that the revenge tour continues, if you will. Uh, BYU was knocked out of the NCAA tournament in the spring by Virginia. Well, they beat Virginia to get here. Um, they lost to South Carolina in the NCAA tournament a few seasons back, got knocked out of that. Well, they beat South Carolina to get here. Uh, they have Santa Clara, and Santa Clara defeated BYU on October 30th uh, to share a, to win a piece of the WCC championship. And now the Cougars get Santa Clara here uh, on the Broncos' home pitch. So uh, Coach Rockwood talks about how these little motivations are actually pretty helpful to see these other teams on the other side of the bracket or, or, or down the line in your bracket. And the Cougars have had those kinds of challenges kind of, uh, you know, propel them on here in this NCAA tournament run. So BYU scored more goals than anybody in the country, uh, but they didn't score any goals against Santa Clara, got shut out 1-0. Uh, does that make them the underdogs tonight, or do they come in as the high-flying goal-scoring favorites? Well, I, I don't think Jerry Smith, the head coach of Santa Clara, would have been surprised had BYU won that October game, you know, 2 or 3 nil or 2 or 3-1. Uh, BYU, in the first 15 minutes of that match, hit two goalposts and a crossbar and was just peppering the net and had nothing to show for it. And soccer's a funny game that way. You can you can look like and play like the better team. The stats can be in your favor. And, and yet, you know, if, if, if you're not finding the back of the net, especially early as the Cougars had chances to do, the game can really turn and change. And so I think the Cougars felt good about their performance. I think Jerry himself has conceded. BYU, uh, the, the Broncos could have, you know, been down one or two nil early in that match. And then BYU back in the spring, in a non-conference game because of COVID scheduling, did come to Santa Clara and and win a match uh, there. Uh, and so the, uh, the Cougars know what it's like to come on the road here and get a win. That happened to be a non-conference game, but they've done it, and, and Jen's done it. And the Cougars have gained results here in the past. They have a number of draws to go along with that one win. Now it's about getting the full three points tonight. But I think, yeah, even back to that day at Santa Clara, BYU felt like they probably earned a better result than they got in that 1-0 defeat. Greg Rubel is with us on BYU Sports Nation, previewing BYU and Santa Clara in the College Cup tonight. You outlined beautifully the Vengeance Tour, which I love. I feel like it's almost poetic how it has built up to this, Greg. And this team kind of feels like, I almost hate to say this phrase, the, the team of destiny with the Vengeance Tour worked in. Is there something to that, 
or am I just, you know, wearing the blue goggles? No, I, I, I think team on a mission is a pretty fair way to describe what BYU has going right now. Uh, you, you're, you're kind of peaking. You're playing your best soccer at the right time. Uh, the goals are pouring in. They're still very stingy defensively. You have two All-Americans now playing alongside each other. Uh, Michaela Coulihan has done things that almost no other soccer player in BYU history has done. It feels like her time. And and Cam Tucker is is just a, a straight sniper right now. Every mm. time she gets a chance, she's finding the back of the net. So those two playing together the way they are. Uh, Brecken Mozingo has just n- not necessarily flipped a switch, but as the season has gone along, gotten better and better and better and more confident. I love the lineup Jen Rockwood puts out there right now. And it's kind of interesting that, uh, they had, you know, five all-region selections uh, just yesterday or two days ago, and, and they come at keeper on the back line in the midfield and up top. <laughs> I mean, every position on the field, every area on the field is essentially covered for BYU. That's depth of strength, and the Cougars have that right now. Coolahan's hoping to start uh, and, and wear that BYU jersey at least two more times uh, in this one and in the championship, and then, and then we'll see. But uh, is she the – Greatest soccer player in the history of BYU? Well, she's the most decorated right now. And, and you know, times have changed. You know, Shauna Robach set some records that will never be touched, you know, back in the late 90s. Uh, women's soccer was a different game then than it is now, a quarter century later. And, and yeah, Michaela got a little more out of her career than most players with the extra year due to COVID. But, you know, the number of conference players of the year, unprecedented. Uh, the number of All-America citations, unprecedented. And to be as good in, in, in the areas in which she is good is, I think, almost unprecedented at BYU. She is second in goals. She's second in assists, career. And she's also a great defensive player. That doesn't get enough attention. Uh, Michaela defends as hard as she attacks. And not every coach finds that player on their roster. You can have gifted goal scorers or gifted distributors. Uh, but she is someone that cares as much about getting the ball back as she does as getting the ball to the back of the net. That's what makes Michaela really, really special. Cannot wait to watch Michaela and the Cougars take on Santa Clara tonight. We're talking with Greg Rubel as he prepares uh, for that call. I want to spin the wheel of BYU sports awesomeness and switch gears a little bit, Greg, with you and talk football specifically. BYU awaits their bowl game scenario, whatever it might be. We'll, we'll know on Sunday. Uh, we all hope that the cards fall right and the Fiesta Bowl is like, yep, BYU, we want you. Let's put you in a New Year's Six game. Now, if that is not the case and things don't fall into place, what does BYU want and need most in a bowl game that is not a New Year's Six scenario? Well, you're always looking for the best competition. I think you guys alluded to this already. Um, and, and sometimes you get good competition from unexpected places. Um, you might find in some years uh, a G5 with an undefeated record, for example, that ends up in your bowl, that's pretty good competition. I think that the Independence Bowl was hoping for that when they were targeting, you know, BYU and, and UTSA. And, of course, that undefeated component uh, fell by the wayside. Uh, ultimately, you want a place that your fans can get to, will get to, will want to get to, and you want the best possible competition to face. And, uh, yes, they're targeted to, for a certain place. They're hopeful for another place. And then there's that whole gray area in between the postseason destinations that may – you know, require some wiggle room on behalf of networks and leagues and BYU to get something fun done there as well. So I guess I'm more uh, intrigued uh, than I am anxious uh, about what's to happen. 
Uh, and of course, by the same token, you're also very hopeful that scoreboard watching might pay off this weekend because, you know, there's still a chance that uh, that the New Year's Six discussion becomes a real thing on Sunday afternoon in that committee room if, if enough things break BYU's way. Now, last week wasn't a great week for things to break BYU's way, but there's one more week for games, uh, you know, to, to, to go the Cougars way. And it would be nice if a bowl simply had a preference, but they're kind of bound by protocol in which, you know, the rankings kind of dictate where these at-large teams get slotted. So there has to be some movement for BYU to get what it's, uh, you know, what it and its, and its supporters most want this weekend. Greg, how surprised were you to hear on uh, ESPN and, and moved all over Twitter yesterday that Bronco Mendenhall was going to retire or, not, or resign after the bowl game for Virginia and, uh, and all his staff and everybody appears to be out? Uh, the AD and the school president there in Virginia tried to keep him in, but uh, he's not going to do it. How surprising was that for you? You know, a couple of weeks ago, Dave, uh, I was with BYU Women's Soccer in Charlottesville and BYU was practicing on one field and Broncos football team was practicing on the adjacent field. And after the soccer practice ended, I hung around and, and waited for Virginia's practice and their Thursday's hero presentation to wrap up. And I was able to, to chat with Bronco when I wasn't able to, when he came to Provo because of the timing of our pregame movements. So we, we had a chat and we hadn't seen each other in, in, you know, six years and it was fun to catch up. And, and during that time, he said a lot of really, you know, deeply resonant things, and and they were, and they really focused on the difference that he felt he was able to make in a place like Charlottesville, and a program like Virginia. And now I look back at that conversation in retrospect, and and I really do have a greater sense of the, um, I don't know, the, the the feeling that he felt he had already done some something that that he wasn't able to do at other places in his career. And evidently, you know, the, the decision came that, that that sense was more of maybe satisfaction and completion. And he spoke during that conversation about challenge and opportunity and constantly wanting to be inspired and invigorated. And that's led him to this decision. And so in some ways, the timing might be surprising, but in a lot of ways, it's very much playing to type and, and, and who Bronco Mendenhall is at the core um, someone who's, you know, forever curious and striving and yearning for the next great challenge or opportunity. And so in a lot of ways, it makes a great deal of sense. In a lot of ways, you wonder why and why now. Um, and, you know, coach one more game, of course, get through that bowl game. But uh, clearly uh, a unique and exceptional individual, a coach, a leader. And uh, we are all curious to see what his next challenge will be. Very well said on Bronco Mendenhall. We are talking with Greg Rubel. Before you go, Greg, let's spin that wheel of BYU Sports one more time. And you brought up intrigue for the bull scenario for the Bronco Mendenhall situation. But I'm wondering if you're feeling anxiety about BYU men's basketball after Gavin Baxter so unfortunately went down with another season-ending injury. And now there's some real concern about the depth of the big man situation for Mark Pope's guys. Uh, what are you feeling around BYU basketball, and how do they shore up that situation as they get ready for a pretty good Missouri State team? Yeah, very curious to see how the Cougars bounce back. And, and this is not an easy stretch into which BYU ventures right now, nor, nor has any part of the season been easy to this point. But you, you play at a good Ken Palm team on the road at Missouri State, another in-state game, and Justin Bean and the Aggies uh, lurking next week. You, play, you travel to play Creighton. Another in-state state game turns around with Weber on the back end, the tournament in Hawaii, all while you're trying to adjust to this, you know, uh, almost unfathomable 
personnel blow with Gavin Baxter going down for a third straight season injury, season ending injury. You hope that the sickness that went through the team resolves itself. You get Gideon George back. You hope that at some point, you know, Richard Howard makes a return to, to kind of shore up the inside, you know, forces, but it's a, it's a, a, a tenuous time right now for BYU having taken the, 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 the mental gut punch beyond the actual, you know, personnel impact of the Gavin Baxter injury, you know, that, that injury kind of changed that game to an extent and, and changes the, the short term as well for this team as they find out how to adjust as well. So it was a, I don't want to use the word devastating, but a really damaging night uh, for BYU from which they have to recover in a lot of different ways. And I guess I'm, I'm curious and intrigued to see how it is that coach Pope and, and his guys rally at Missouri state, because what I still think that in the regular season, BYU under Mark Pope has yet to suffer consecutive losses. Right. I think the only back-to-back losses came last year in the postseason with Gonzaga and UCLA. So I think they're still in a situation where in the regular year, they haven't had that, you know, back-to-back loss situation. So let's see how they do respond because it's been a real hallmark of their team in the past is the ability to be resilient and bounce right back with a win after a tough L. Yeah, those back-to-back losses against two Final Four teams are a little bit more understandable in a postseason scenario. Uh, But, man, uh, another massive weekend for BYU sports, the third really in a row. Greg, have a great call tonight. We'll be dialed in, and uh, hopefully we're rooting for BYU women's soccer on a national championship Monday. Yeah, we'd love we'd, we'd love for this to get into the weekend. And uh, you know, right now, the NCAA championship is scheduled for Sunday. It's a Friday-Sunday scenario, but they will move it to Friday-Monday if the Cougars get the result tonight. So we hope that there's a schedule change in the offing <laughs> and that the Cougars get to, uh, get to spend the weekend here in the Bay Area. Spencer, Dave, great to be with you. Good to see you guys. Great to talk to you, Greg. The man, the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rebell in the Bay Area. And everybody needs a family night featuring a national championship on Monday. Absolutely. It's a great activity. It's it's fun for the whole family. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Top 5 Tuesday, presented by Delta Airlines. Keep climbing. If you haven't heard, BYU football, a perfect 5-0 against Pac-12 competition this season, thus the banner in Studio B and the T-shirts we had on yesterday. Let's look back at all five of those wins and rank them. Number five. Arizona. BYU beat Arizona 24-16 in Vegas. It was awesome. On to number four. (laughs) Following back-to-back losses, the only two losses of the season for BYU, Cougars had a big game traveling to Pullman and beating a good Washington State team. Tyler Algier... 21-19 victory. He had 191 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. 32 carries. Number three, USC. That was last week. BYU pretty beat up. Got it done. 35-31. Jackson McChesney, Caleb Hayes, Tyler Algier, Jaron Hall. All awesome. Puka Nakua as well. BYU's first win of the season when losing the turnover margin, which means they really had to win the game. Minus two, found a way. Found a way. At number two, following the 2-0 start, and a number 23 ranking, the Cougars hosted number 19 Arizona State in front of another raucous crowd at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Play of the year happened as Tyler Algier chases down an intercepted pass, and the tomahawk punch happens. So good. Incredible. BYU's first win this season 
uh, rather, uh, third win this season overall, number two in this list. Number one, Utah. Any question this would be the win? BYU beat then 21st ranked Utah, 26-17. Ended the nine-game losing streak. It was the day after BYU was invited to the Big 12. It was the greatest weekend in the history of BYU athletics. Cougars ended the streak and have the bragging rights, which has triggered the Utah fan base this, this entire season. <laughs> and the Utes got to sit on that loss for a couple of more years. And they're very happy about it. As you can tell from the 100 replies to my picture of the band. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. It's a championship type of day. And uh, I mentioned championships because our next guest wins a lot of them in the West Coast Conference. She's hoping to win a national championship in just a few days. Jen Rockwood, the head coach of BYU Women's Soccer, is with us. Coach, congratulations. I know it's belated at this point on getting to your first ever College Cup. We're so excited for you. Well, thanks, guys. It's, uh, it's been a, a, quite a journey, but it's, it's really exciting. I'm really excited for our team and our staff and everybody involved uh, in our program. It's just exciting times, and we really look forward to it. What has this week been like since the emotional win over South Carolina? And now you're preparing for what you hope is two games at Santa Clara. Um, just, you know, we're just ready to go. It kind of just feels like another game. I don't think the Final Four is quite set in. It's like, you know, you coach, you just you get ready for the next game. And that's kind of where all of your energy goes is we get to play Santa Clara and we're going to the Final Four. And you have to do all the logistics of the trip and get everybody on a, on a plane and decide who's going and all that good stuff. So it's kind of been crazy and busy and a few practices. But uh, we head out today and ready to go. We're going to ask you plenty about Santa Clara and this vengeance tour that uh, many of your players have called it. <laughs> but I do want to bring up one of my favorite images and videos from the weekend, and that was you celebrating with Kerry <laughs> Roberts and oh, Bill yeah. G. Taylor. That yeah. was fantastic. That was really fun. Walk us through that moment. Um, just, you know, we have some great coaches here at BYU, but there's some really phenomenal women coaches leading these programs. And we've had a chance to spend some time together and, and uh, just talk about what we're doing to help lead these uh, young women uh, in our programs and they're very supportive we're supportive of each other and it was fun to see them they grabbed me after the game and <laughs> and we're just really excited and um you know they've they've all done so well i mean look at what Dajit has has done and, and heather's just starting the ncaa tournament here with the women's volleyball team so really fun to see all those guys what does this moment mean for you personally and i know coaches don't like to talk about themselves because mm -hmm. it's about the team mm -hmm. but you are byu women's soccer what does this moment and this opportunity mean to you? Um, I think as a coach, you, you, you aspire to be the best. You aspire to play at the very highest level and to get results at the highest level. And, and as a coach, we've gone out and we've played nationally competitive teams. We've had a tremendous amount of success, been in the NCAA tournament, had some phenomenal games and, and teams, and uh, it's a bit of a validation to get to the College Cup. I mean, I think every coach, that's what you're trying to get to is, is the game, that national championship game, and uh, it's something that's driven me to come back after all these years. I never anticipated coaching for, you know, 27. Actually, this is my 33rd year here at BYU. Um, but, yeah, just, just looking forward to it and just trying to enjoy the moment and not get too big or too up or too down and just kind of enjoy it and whatever happens, happens. And I just know the girls are ready and we'll be at our best and, and uh, we'll hit the field, field, go, field going. I have appreciated 
who you have played in this year's tournament because I'm big on history. Yeah. You know, you open up New Mexico right. for obvious reasons <laughs> that resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And then I look at Virginia and what they did to you in the spring, eliminating your chances there. Mm-hmm. And then you take care of South Carolina, a team that beat you five years ago in the Sweet 16. Yes. Mm-hmm. And now you get Santa Clara in the Final Four. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of just, just the history involved with all of the matchups that you have in 2021 based on what's happened in the past? Yeah, we've, we've talked a lot this, this last part of the season with this group that you know, it's kind of lined up as well as we could have ever hoped for. When we saw um, that we were potentially matched, matched up with the Virginia, some teams might be, oh, you know, they're, they're one or two in the country and they've had this phenomenal season. They won the ACC. But I think our team was like, no, let's, let's have another chance at them. We, we felt confident in, in the way we played last time. And I think that, that helped us in our, in our result as we went out there and played them. And, and same with Santa Clara. I mean, it's just a great rivalry that we have with them. They're such a great program. They're defending national champs. We were all very jealous of what they accomplished last year, um, but also made it more realistic that that might be something we could do. So uh, ironically, they've helped drive us to get to this point, and now we get to play them at their home field. Um, It's going to be a great match. Uh, They have phenomenal players, but so do we, and I, I think the girls are in a great place right now. What What is your thought in terms of playing them on their home field? I, I mean, you get to this opportunity and you have to play the actual home team on their field for a chance to go for the national championship. Yeah, it's it's a little odd, but, uh, you know, I don't think any any Final Four or College Cup has been at a, at a home school. Um, it happened. It, there was arrangements to play somewhere else, and the WC stepped in and Santa Clara stepped in to host it. So it is what it is. There's, there's nothing we could do, and we talk all year about you can't control some things and you just move forward. But we're also familiar with that field. Um, my seniors have played there three or four times, so I think that's a positive. Well, and I had the pleasure of being with you the last time you were at Santa Clara. Unfortunately, the result didn't turn out the way that that you would have wanted the end of October. But I, I specifically remember you guys as a team talking about, look, beyond trying to win that game, the goal is to be back here in a little while. Mm-hmm. Kind of playing off what Spencer asked you, when when you have set a goal like that and then you can see it realized that you're here, mm-hmm. what does that do to a program? I think it just brings more hope and more excitement um, and, and the ability to set higher goals. You know, I, I think our senior group came in this year and no one had really ever put a national championship on the board. I think for years we've talked about it that, you know, might be a possibility, but this group of seniors, after seeing what Santa Clara did, put it on the board and, and that was their goal, was to get a national championship, get to this game. And after that frustrating loss at Santa Clara earlier, uh, in the season, you know, I think I'm pretty sure I said after the game, let's do everything we can to get ourselves back here for another opportunity. This is where the Final Four is being played. Whether it's Santa Clara or someone else, let's get ourselves back on this field. And this, that's what the girls have done so far. What has to play out differently? Because we're talking about, I mean, very, very minute details yes. that if something bounces your way, then we're talking about a different result mm-hmm. in the game against Santa Clara earlier this year. So what has to happen differently this time around against the Broncos? Well, I think we've made a lot of progress um, in, in our team. Uh, just some of the details, some of the small things, you know. Um, we've challenged everybody to get a little bit better each game, you know, a few more passes, um, a few more shots, uh, more shots on frame, uh, a few more tackles, you know, just doing a little bit. And, and as you look at our NCAA performances, we've gotten better with each, each game. And, and we had, I think we played our very best game of the year against Virginia uh, on the defensive side of things where we were really challenged defensively, had to really step up. And then I think just a full game against South Carolina, 
real dominant performance. So I think the girls are in a really good place as far as um, feeling confident about our ability to dictate the tempo, to uh, keep the ball a lot more than we did the last time we played them. And then um, we've been finishing a lot of goals. And so, you know, I think players like Cam and Kayla are hard to stop or McKaylee scoring two goals in the last uh, game. That's what's great about our team. It's not just one or two goal scores. We can score from a lot of different people, from a lot of different positions in a lot of different ways. So um, I, I think that we've got to score first. We've got to score early, something we talk about every game. So that will be our, our same game plan. Well, and, that, and that's been the MO. This team has scored first and scored early. And we were talking before the segment began, that game at Santa Clara, there were at least three shots, one hit one post, then hit the other post, then hit the crossbar. So there were opportunities to do that. It's, it's a proven way of winning because that's how you guys have done it all season long. You score early and then once you get ahead, it's kind of like, all right, now let's, it's almost like, oh yeah, this is yeah. what we do. And then more goals seem to come. Yeah, you know, score first, score early, and then score again. That's what we've been saying all year. And, uh, you know, you need a little bit of luck in soccer. You know, you need the ball to bounce your way. You need it not to hit the crossbar or, or the, <laughs> you know. Um, and so we, we found plenty. You create your own luck, uh, obviously. But uh, I'm just excited. I think there's really good energy. Um, we'll have to be at our very best. Um, Santa Clara has a phenomenal goal score like we do, um, that if she gets a look, she can put the ball in the back of the net. She's won lots of games for them just recently. So um, We'll have our hands full. They're a very good defensive team. They have slowed us down um, the last few times we've played them. So we got to find ways to get in behind their back line and be dangerous. Before you go, I need to ask you about Ashley Hatch and yes. what she's done with oh, wow. the United States women's senior national team yep. goals in each of her last two games. What do you think of what Ashley is doing at the highest just level? Just so excited for her. She is someone that's just always worked so hard, and I'm I'm sure that is still what she's doing. And you know, she had a taste of it uh, her first cap here as, as a player, and then you know she's just really focused on her her pro career. She got a look uh, a little bit after and then kind of nothing. And then now she's back and she's really made the most of this opportunity in Australia. So excited for her. Two goals. I mean, just a phenomenal thing. I, you, turn the, you, know, you turn the game on and 34 seconds in, <laughs> there's Ashley putting a ball in the back of the net. I was so excited. And, uh, yeah, that's what she does. She just scores goals and just really what a great kid, what a great example she is. And, and it gives a, a lot of young players um, – you know, that a role model to really aspire to and, and play at that highest level Absolutely. like she's doing. Absolutely. Not only is she a fantastic player, she's just a great human being overall. Yeah. Oh, Ashley's the best, she for sure. She really yeah. is. She took a page out of BYU's book, scoring 34 seconds in. That's right. That's what we do. <laughs> That's what Cougs do. All right, Coach. Uh, we're gathering together all of the karma yes. that we can in yes. Studio yes. B we'll and take giving it, it to you yes. right Thank now. you. Thank you. I'll pass it on to the group. We'll take see it to you in Santa a Clara. Uh, we're absolutely stoked for you. Can't wait to watch on Friday night. Good awesome. luck. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Coach. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Time now to bring in the man who scored more buckets for BYU basketball than any other man in the history of the program. He is Tyler Hawes. What's up, Ty? Over Zoom. Ty, uh, we're glad that you're joining us on a somber morning to discuss what in the world happened last night against Utah Valley. But let's start with... Are you wearing black as well? 
<laughs> I'm wearing black. We're yeah, all I'm wearing just black over here. Yep, yep. I've got we've got our Christmas decorations up. I got the fire oh, going. Man. Look at you yeah. trying to get trying to get cozy, trying to recover, trying guys. to bring some good vibes. I'm sick. Okay. Well, yeah, that's where I was going to start. Is how, how do you find good vibes after a loss like that? And it's tough because BYU loses Gavin Baxter for the season. And I said this to Jerem just a few minutes ago. When he went out, there was a notable emotional difference on the BYU bench. And it's hard to overcome that. And, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I thought maybe BYU can get through this because they're a mature team and they got a lot of ballers on the team. But it just the wind was taken out of the sails of a team that was already down one big man. They're a bunch of sick guys. So I, how did you see it? I mean, you're watching back here in the pregame through the TV – what, what did you see as the biggest impact of losing Gavin Baxter for BYU last night? Yeah, I think they've already been through it once with Richard, right? And now to see Gavin go down, I mean, those two guys, they're leaders in the locker room. They're emotional leaders, very loud and outspoken guys. And so to see two of those guys, two core guys on your team go down, yeah, you could see it uh, on all their faces, even the coaches' faces. Everybody was sick from from that, and so just just really, really tough to to deal with. But you know what? This is a part of basketball. This is a part of a season. Um, there's ups and downs, and you know you've got to you've got to learn how to win, but you also have to learn how to lose. And um, you know, different guys have to step up, and uh, but. That that loss last night it hurts and it will sting for for a while. Um, yeah, you know, like like Jerem said earlier in the show. I mean, you just cannot lose to Utah Valley. I, I said last night, th- this f- feels like uh, losing to your little brother a little a little bit. Like eh, nothing against my little bro. Your but, little brother you was know, pretty good, <laughs> dude. <laughs> The 10 year old TJ that's talking trash and chirping in my ear, right? I, I never wanted to lose to that TJ. So, UVU is a 10 year old TJ to you? Is that the comp you just made up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, certainly UVU is more talented than a 10 year old TJ, and no offense to TJ, but yeah, you shouldn't lose. You just shouldn't. And now, uh, Gavin Baxter's out for the season. So, how does that change things? Because BYU is now going to rely on some talented players, but inexperienced in Fusini Traore and Atiki Ali Atiki and, of course, Caleb Lohner. Right. Those guys have to step up and be big. I mean, BYU hasn't – I mean, beside, outside the Oregon game, really BYU hasn't played well offensively. Um, but they, they have done some good things inside, right? We, we never see BYU get – outscored in the paint and last night they got outscored 30 to 20 uh, outscored in double figures and so uh, these guys are going to have to be big on both ends of the floor Um, you know BYU last night had 15 offensive boards but only converted uh, what was it five second chance points and so I mean if, if these shooting woes continue, these guys have to be huge on the glass, but be able to finish and put those back, right? And, and BYU has to find a way to play inside out to, you know, to get the flow back uh, of their three-point shooting and to see some shots go in. It, it starts with these guys in the paint. And, but what's, co- what's got to be comforting to us and to, to all BYU fans 
is these guys are more than capable. I mean, those guys really talented. Yeah, they're inexperienced, but they can do it. They have all the tools and assets. And we've seen moments of really good things from, from Foose and Atiki and, and Caleb, we know what he's, he's capable of. Um, and he's going to, he's going to find his rhythm here and things are going to pick up. Um, but you know, these next couple of days are, are going to be a little bit dark for these guys. I, I, I've, I've been through similar things. We, we definitely had our moments uh, in my time at BYU and they're dark and they should be dark, but that's what helps you get better and, and figure out how to, how to improve and, and get better. Tyler Hawes, BYU's all-time leading scorer, is with us on BYU Sports Nation, recapping BYU and Utah Valley from a night ago. Some fans were concerned that this loss would negatively impact BYU's tournament resume, like significantly, saying, oh, it might be a quad four loss. I am not of that opinion, Tyler. I think that the way Utah Valley is playing right now, this could very well become a quad two loss because Utah Valley just has to be one of the top 135 teams in the net rankings, and it was on the road. So with that said, where does this loss hurt the most? You talked about the dark times. Where specifically does it hurt BYU the most as they try and push forward and turn the page? Yeah, I think I'm I'm with you, Spence. I, I don't I don't think it's going to be a quad four loss. I mean, the way UVU is playing, um, they're they're going to continue to get better. They won their conference last year. Uh, I see them doing the exact same thing this year and continuing to play well. And so, you know, down the road, I I don't think it'll be as big of a deal. Yeah, it is dark right now, but um, there's still a ton to play for. And you know, Coach Pope said last night. This, this season, it is a journey, and there's some unexpected things that, that come up in the year, and you got to figure out how to, how to deal with them and how to fight. And so, um, you know, I think, I, I think the biggest thing, though, the, the darkest cloud over my head right now is, is, the, is BOE's offense, the shooting. Um, they just seem so stagnant and out of the flow. Guys are... Um, playing a little bit hesitant and deferring to other people. And, you know, I think, I think the, the weird thing is, is we've seen this over and over in, in games that they've won, right? This isn't something new that's happened this year. But outside the Oregon game, BYU has not shot the ball well. Um, and UVU did a good job of taking, uh, taking Alex Barcelo out last night. And, other guys have to be ready to step up and attack. And, you know, it, I, I just felt like guys were, were looking and deferring to other people instead of, you know, grabbing the bull by the horns and being like, this is my time. I got to step up. Let's talk about the three-point shooting. So obviously Alex Barcelo is doing fine, shooting 48% overall. Didn't have his best game in the last three, though, shooting the ball. Um, it's cooled off significantly. Uh, Spencer Johnson's good, 45%. But everybody else is having an issue. But Tijon Lucas is good, 38%. Let's talk about everybody else. Caleb Loner, 0 for 9. He doesn't even take threes now. He's not really taking them. Gideon George, 2 for 14. Seneca Knight, 1 for 11. Trevenel, 5 for 22, 23%. If BYU just makes a couple of those, Tyler, just here and there, like one, what each of those guys makes one a game. Like that's not asking a ton. I think that changes the trajectory of, what happened last night and, and the season. So I feel like this is something that will change. I don't feel like BYU is going to be a 31% shooting team from three all year. 
Um, and those numbers actually, I'm realizing right now, are before last night. And last night didn't go well, so it's probably even worse. I feel like that's going to change. Do you feel it will as well? I think so. Um, you know, I've been in locker rooms with with Pope and Figure and been in the gym with those guys. I know they're they're watching a ton of film and they're in the gym with their guys trying to figure this thing out. And, um, you know, as sick as we feel, they feel 10 times sicker. And they the only way to to get that nasty taste out of your mouth is to play another game and to continue taking good shots like we we said it last night jerem we feel like these guys are getting good looks they're shooting really good shots it's not like anyone's forcing bad shots but i expect trev to to shoot a, a good percentage towards the end of the year expect caleb to start seeing some go down Tijon Lucas, uh, I, I think his percentage can get even better. Seneca Knight's still trying to find his flow. Um, but it, it is early in the year. But I think the biggest thing uh, from a shooting perspective is to continue to take those shots and shoot them with confidence. BYU, they, these guys always talk about owning your shot, right? The, this situation right now, you have to own your shot. Every time, every time you get a good look, own it, make or miss, you're, you're putting it up there and shooting it with confidence. And it, it feels like, you know, from a mental perspective, there's some doubt creeping in and some hesitancy and that just cannot happen for, for this thing to turn around. You got to be aggressive. You got to play on attack and you got to shoot it with confidence and, and, and shoot it like you've made 10 in a row. I do want to add this spin to the conversation. Let's not forget that Gavin Baxter was playing maybe four or five minutes a half when the season began, and it was Fusini Traore and Atiki Ali Atiki when Richard Harwood went out. And so they've gone through some significant growth experiences. I just think in the moment, in the road, hostile environment, losing Gavin, gutted for him, that, that that's a lot to overcome. So, Tyler, how much do you trust the BYU coaches to get the big man situation right before Missouri State and the remainder of non-conference and right the ship? Is a couple of days enough to remind those young guys that they've done this earlier in the season, or is it going to take some more time? I mean, I definitely think there will still be some growing pains. I mean, these are young, inexperienced guys, but – like I said earlier, these guys are capable. They're talented. We've seen moments of uh, their capabilities early, early in the year. And so if anyone can get them right, though, it's Pope, it's Burgess, it's Fieger. These guys are gym rats and they're going to dig into the film and and sit down and, and talk with these guys and figure out ways to improve and bring them up to speed a lot quicker than uh, I think anybody expected. And so you know, another point, another thought is these guys are big men coaches, right? I love Pope for, for everything he did for me from a guard perspective. And I, I can't even imagine what he'd be like as, as a big man coach, because that's his, that's his go-to stuff. And same with Chris Burgess. And so um, no doubt those big men inside are going to be relying heavily on, on those two. Um, But I, I expect them to to pick it right up, and um, you know, but there there still will be some growing pains, and and guys have to be patient with those those two, but they're capable. 
The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. With our Big 12 gear on, BYU football up to number Big 12 in the latest college football playoff standings, just behind number 11 Michigan State and number 10 Oregon. Speaking of Michigan State, Gary Barta, the spokesperson for the college football playoff committee, said that Michigan State is ranked above BYU due to a more impressive win. They beat Michigan at home, Michigan currently number two. Mm -hmm. But Jason, can you make the case that with what Utah has done over the back half of the season, that just maybe BYU's win over Utah is as impressive as Michigan State's win against Michigan? Um, I think a case can be made, and quite honestly, I think that's the only game right now that you could use as comparison. It, it really, if if the comparison is going to be made, that that Michigan or that Michigan State being ahead is because of their matchup with Michigan. The, the only one that makes sense to compare it to for BYU is. The, the Utah game, because remember, obviously, Utah at the time was was ranked. They were 18 and mm-hmm. 21 in yep. the polls when BYU faced them. Now, granted, it was a lot. It was it was significantly longer ago when these two teams met versus when Michigan and Michigan State played. Michigan and Michigan State actually played on October 30th. So it wasn't as long ago. But look, I, I'm not ultimately going to argue that that win is more impressive because even back, uh, you know, a month ago at the time, Michigan, let's see, Michigan was what at the time, Michigan sixth and yep. B and Michigan state was eighth. Yes. At the time when they played each other. So, so Michigan was still a higher ranked team than what Utah was when BYU beat them. Okay. So I, like I, I have honestly, I don't ultimately have a problem with the way that the, the rankings played no, out, no. but I, but I do think that, the, the game that does compare the most where BYU has an argument is Utah. Certainly the way that the, the game ha- or the season has played out for them, obviously now after last night coming out at number 17. I think the rankings are extremely fair this week. I expected that BYU would be at number 12 after Oklahoma lost to Oklahoma State. They hit that number. I have no issues with that logic from Gary yeah, Barton. I don't have a problem with it. There are two things that would need to happen for BYU to feel like their win over Utah is equal to Michigan State's win against Michigan. And I don't really want either of those things to happen, Jason. Okay, so right now, no, I don't think there is a case. I agree with Gary Barta. Holy cow, I can't believe I just said that on live national television. But I do. I agree with his logic here and the committee's logic. Utah would have to beat Oregon and win the Pac-12 championship and go to the Rose Bowl. Which, honestly, is... Could very Very well happen. Utah is a three-point favorite against the same team they just dismantled in Salt Lake City a few weeks ago. And then Michigan would have to lose to Iowa. If Michigan lost in the Big Ten championship game to Iowa and Utah beat Oregon, then I could look at BYU's win against Utah and say, well, BYU beat the Pac-12 champions head-to-head. Right. And Michigan State, yeah, they beat Michigan, but Michigan didn't win the Big Ten championship. So at that point, they become equal to me, and then it gets a little bit weird. But because there are so few at-large spots, Michigan losing to Iowa would essentially bump BYU out of any shot of playing in a New Year's Six game. BYU needs Michigan to beat Iowa, and, and I think hold they will. Chalk. 
and take that spot in the college football playoff. I know that the optics of BYU maybe jumping up a spot because Utah beat Oregon and Oregon's going to drop below BYU, that looks nice, but it doesn't affect the at-large spots again. It all comes down to Baylor. Yes. Can BYU jump ahead of Baylor? And isn't it funny how we've talked almost all season long about because BYU lost to the Bears that you want Baylor to win. Baylor just needs to continue to win, and now all of a sudden that's not the case. No, Baylor, BYU fans were hoping that Baylor lost to Texas Tech last Saturday, and it came down to a field goal that was missed by Texas Tech that would have sent it to overtime. Right now, yeah, for, for that Utah win, which is a great win for BYU, incredible win. Like the Big 12 invite happened the day before it. It was the greatest weekend ever. It was the ever. greatest weekend ever. Yes, it's great. It's not as good as Michigan State's win against Michigan right now. All right, topic number two. And we have all enjoyed, and by all, I literally mean all. Everybody associated with BYU has enjoyed No Loss November. But Spencer, as you mentioned at the top yeah. of the show, today is a new month. It is December 1st. So November is done. And you know what that means. Mm -hmm. Which team is most likely to extend no-loss November into no-loss December? Well, I'm looking at the strict mathematics involved here for all of the teams playing in December, and it would be easy to want to choose the teams that have the fewest number of games. Don't say it's easy because you know where I'm going with this. But I am all in on BYU men's basketball to keep things rolling through the month of December. BYU has a legitimate chance to not really have to worry about losing a game until they face St. Mary's or Gonzaga in conference. It's true. They won at Utah. They won in Portland against Oregon. If BYU can figure out a way to beat Missouri State, a game that you will call in Missouri this Saturday on BYU Radio, and then survive Creighton at a neutral site in South Dakota – then I don't see where BYU slips up. I think BYU is going to hold serve against Utah State in Provo. I think they'll win tonight against Utah Valley. I'm looking at BYU men's basketball and saying, uh, yeah, and they'll be the favorites to win the Diamond Head Classic over the Christmas holiday as well. Who's BYU going to lose to? They're favored in every game, according to Ken Pomeroy's index, through the rest of the year. Look, I, I agree with you on basketball. I, I and here's the reason this is a great question is because I think it's going to happen to multiple sports. And I agree with you that basketball has a legitimate chance to do it again in December because they are favorites in all of these games. They just haven't shown me anything to make me think, ah, yeah, they, they probably can't pull that out because they have shot the ball really not great, Jason, and they're still winning games. Yes by double figures in most instances when they're not shooting the ball well from outside because they rebound offensively at an elite level, they rebound altogether at an elite level, and they play incredible defense. They're so long and athletic. This is just a very, very different BYU team than we are used to seeing in the past six or seven years. Even unique to Mark Pope's teams, which have been great. So because they do that, I like their chances to run the table in December. Well, and in the most recent game, the win at Utah, Cougars end up winning the game by 11. They shot 17% from three. They were 2 of 12. Yes. And, and still had a double-digit victory on the road in a hostile environment. They make free throws. Yes. And they out-rebounded a Utah team that was ridiculous in rebounding the basketball. They, Utah's a great rebounding team. They were third in the nation in, in rebounding margin at 16.6 going into that game. BYU out-rebounded Utah by 17. I know. By 17. 
Okay, so it, you started your argument by saying, you know, I could go with the easy route, uh -huh. go with the statistics, uh -huh. because there's going to be a couple of teams that play uh, a very few number of games. <laughs> well, that's where I'm going, because statistically <laughs> speaking, it has the highest probability. Low-hanging fruit, Jason. But it's also the highest probability, and I want to be right okay. at the end of the day. <laughs> okay? So, yeah, look, football uh -huh. has one game, you would think. Okay. Soccer has two in the month of December. Uh -huh. But ultimately, I'm going to go with soccer Ooh. because you know what? What? I don't think football has a game in December. I what think do you it mean? may be played in January. Oh, if you okay. get my drift, okay. if you see where I'm going with this. All right. So I'm going to go soccer. I'm going to go with women's soccer. They obviously have the game against Santa Clara at Santa Clara on Friday in the Final Four for an opportunity to play for the national championship. That is a Friday-Sunday scenario. However, obviously, if BYU wins Friday, championship game would be moved to Monday. Yep. So I'm going to say that the team that has the most likely chance to have a no-loss December is women's soccer because they are going to win two games in the month of December and win the national championship. Wow. The correct answer here, really, as you have pointed out, Jason, is BYU football because, at worst, <laughs> they're going to have one game, and if the cards align, they won't even play a game in December. So BYU Saying. will... Yes, factually be undefeated in December because they wouldn't have played a game. Look, I'm telling you, there is a real chance that no loss December, and we need to come up with something else because it just doesn't have the same ring. But, but yeah, it, like this could continue for multiple sports. Basketball, certainly. Soccer, football, if they do play in mm -hmm. December. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, women's basketball. Now, women's basketball has probably a tougher road because of opponents and where those games are played. But look, I'm not going to put anything past okay. BYU women's basketball. They just knocked off two ranked teams. So I'm not going to say that they can't do it either. How about defeated foes December? Mm, I like it. <laughs> we're going mean, to have we've to got a brainstorm. Yeah, we're going to need to brainstorm. brainstorm. Look, the, the, the initial one isn't always the best one, and that's certainly the case with the one you just brought up. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> we'll, we'll workshop this and, uh, and see where this goes. <laughs> I feel very small right now. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Bowl game destinies determined this Sunday for 84 different college football teams. It's like the NBA. <laughs> 42 bowl games. BYU of certainty will be in one of those. You know, some people say, are there too many bowl games? I say, absolutely not. Just more more Just, football? I love having one on every day, sometimes two or three. More football. Put them on. Give me Central Michigan and Toledo. I'll watch it. <laughs> Why not? Sunday night, specifically, BYU will know where they're going bowling. Hope remains alive for a New Year's Six scenario in the yeah. Fiesta Bowl. Maybe if the cards fall right with the four games that we outlined and the results that need to happen on Championship Saturday. But if that does not happen, Dave, what are you looking for in a bowl game for BYU not named the Fiesta Bowl? And I think it's okay if you don't get in the New Year's Six. Uh, your rebuilding year with a kid that came in with two starts, didn't play last year. Yeah, a rebuilding year. A rebuilding year. number 10 12. And two. Maybe the best season ever. Against the schedule they played, uh, I just want to play a, uh, another P five. Okay, I don't even care where it is. An eighth power five. If it's the Independence Bowl against LSU, 
That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, so for me, that's what, what I'm looking for. It would be great to be have a bigger bowl like on the 28th or 29th where you have prime time to yourself, which, which ESPN does with a lot of those bowls through that week. So th- I guess that's what I'd love against a P5. But if you've got to play in the Independence Bowl, which actually has a better payout than some of the other games after Christmas, which I do think is interesting, uh, then, then get a P5. But I don't even think the payout even matters. I mean, what, what mattered to BYU when they went independent, we talked about this a few months ago, was that they would someday be invited into a P5. If we were in a situation where BYU wasn't going to the Big 12 as we sit today, and we see the ceiling that's keeping us from the big money bowls, we would see, yes, independence is keeping us from our goal. We can't get past this wall that keeps us from the New Year's Six or the playoff. Uh, and so it's unsustainable, and all those arguments come into play. But having been invited to the Big 12, uh, we're going to the promised land, so to speak, where there are big bowls and there's access to the biggest of bowls without politics and prayer and luck and <laughs> four scenarios that have to go this way or that. Uh, that's the road we're going to. What I hope for BYU fans and the theme we've had all year long is enjoy this moment. This is a spectacular season. The team's going to go to a bowl game, and they win it. They're going to have 11 wins. And potentially be a top 10 team. And the potential of having all but like two guys back next season. Wild. Talk about the hype leading into this season from last season. It'll be nuts going into this next season, and that's what this show lives for. Yes. Hype and people going nuts. <laughs> uh, so I think it's going to be good. What do you think? I am okay with BYU's bowl game situation regardless of, of where they go. I, re- I really am. I, I look at what BYU's resume has become 10-2. and two. I, I'm with you. I would prefer an eighth Power 5 team. Yeah. It would be fun. Would have a month to get ready. Yeah. yeah. A little bit more time than December 18th in Shreveport, but – if it's LSU, and Brett McMurphy was the guy that first put that idea out that just maybe LSU could make the relatively short drive up to Shreveport from right. Baton Rouge and take on BYU. I think BYU fans at that point were like, ooh, okay, well, maybe the Independence Bowl wouldn't be so bad. Yeah. But it becomes kind of a de facto road game taking on LSU in Shreveport. And maybe Bayou Brian Kelly is there. Who knows? <laughs> who, who knows? <laughs> I, I, I hope know. he's the PA announcer. That would okay. be awesome. But BYU has a contractual tie with Conference USA, which would likely be UTSA. And I just think BYU fans want another Power 5 opponent sure. because of what the Cougars have done against the seven P5 opponents. They're 6-1. and one. It'll be a step back, although it might be a better opponent than some of the P5s. Yeah, absolutely. But, but emotionally, it would be like, uh, Texas-San Antonio. I even went on my mission to Texas-San Antonio. And, and I don't even think that would be a great matchup. <laughs> but Texas-San Antonio could beat BYU or whoever they play. It's just the name, and it's like, ah, uh, you know what? Let's, let's get something better than that, even if it's a, be- a lesser opponent. Yes. Bigger name, lesser opponent. Uh, some people want more money. As opposed to this payout, Location. I don't think money's even matters. We're going to the Big 12. Money today does not matter. No. And, and, th- and think about this. Shreveport, for what it's worth, I do not think that BYU will end up in Shreveport. There are too many scenarios with Power 5 conferences not being able to fulfill all of their bowl obligations right. that ESPN's going to say, hmm, this is the 12th ranked team in the country. I don't think we should put them in Shreveport on December 18th. I think we should find them a better opponent and get more eyeballs on the game 
and work together all so that we can sell more advertising right. and make more money. If ESPN and ABC was a philanthropy, then uh, <laughs> then yes, we'd be in the middle of the day against, you know, Bo Diddley Tech yeah. would come out of the... But uh, but they're not. It's all business. So let's just see where they think the business is. Just maybe, and this would make a lot of sense, the Fiesta Bowl Commission, they run the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. And Arizona knows all about BYU's impact. Yeah. 30,000 fans plus when BYU opened up the season in Glendale. You saw it firsthand. Yeah, it was nuts. That was madness when the Kalani Satake era began. And then in Las Vegas to open this season – BYU had 40,000 fans at Allegiant Stadium. They will show up if they are in an area that is densely populated by members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Wouldn't it be cool? You got you got Vegas, you have L.A., and then you'd have Glendale. Three road venues in the same season where BYU fans packed. Every game's a home. And they didn't pack uh, the Coliseum because it's, it's so big, but they put in 20,000, 30,000 fans. Over Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Which is unbelievable. So I like to think that ESPN, they're smart, and they want to make money. And if it's not the Fiesta Bowl, why not the junior varsity game, if you will, to the Fiesta Bowl, which is the guaranteed rate bowl, against a Big Ten opponent, by the way. Like Penn State. Or Minnesota or Purdue. It would be a quality Big Ten team. So you get your Power 5 thing. You have an Arizona location. It's warm. There's a ton of BYU fans there. The payout's not as much, but it's way cheaper to get your team there. So maybe it's a wash with the difference in price there and the payout. So I, I kind of like the guaranteed rate ball on December 28th. Yeah, makes sense to me. Or the Sugar Bowl. Or the Sugar <laughs> Or the Fiesta Bowl. Or the Fiesta Bowl. Our, Our question of the day. The Rose Bowl, Pac-12. <laughs> and we start, unfortunately, with defeated December. Because that's where we are with BYU men's basketball two days into the month. That's a better one than I heard on Twitter last night. Uh, heard some other ones that were, like, I can't even bring up. Jerem, which is the bigger loss last night? Is it 12th-ranked BYU losing the rivalry game to Utah Valley, or is it the loss for the season to another big man in Gavin Baxter? Certainly losing to Utah Valley is something you never want to do if you're BYU. You never do in any sport. I'm sorry. It is what it is, right? Congrats to UVU. They earned that. Like They played great defense. They held BYU to... You know, 65 points, 55 in regulation. They earned that. BYU lost that game. You know, uh, UVU won that game. BYU didn't lose that game. Okay? There's a difference. Um, I think it's Baxter. Here's why. The combination, and I'm just gutted. We're all gutted for Gavin. Just stinks, man. Three years in a row he has an injury that has him out for almost or all of the year. That's terrible. Labrum, ACL, and then this is the other knee. It's not the knee he tore the ACL on. It's the other knee, which is just the worst. So it's Baxter. Here's why. You combine it with the loss of Richard Harwood, which we don't know if and when Rich, Richard Harwood will come back. That combination, to me, goes from BYU feeling like, okay, maybe they could equal last year to Bubblicious. I think BYU will probably be Bubblicious now because you can't just assume that Foose and Atiki and Caleb can produce in the same way that those other two combined together with those five. It's just going to – the learning curve is harder. Uh, BYU's inability to make threes right now is a massive issue. BYU bangs in a couple threes last night. I'm telling you, like two or three when they're up five or seven, BYU wins that game. Sure. But but they don't. So I, I think it has um, – and it's maybe it's a hot take. Maybe it's not. But the loss of Baxter combined with Harvard, to me, changes the entire season for BYU because BYU has to have – 
a big man who's going to – now Foos is 6'7". He's got the long reach. That's great. He's an undersized 5, but he's not a 5. There will be a couple times where Matthias Toss of St. Mary's and Drew Timmy and McLovin, a.k.a. Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga, are going to have a size advantage that will be difficult to deal with. And now rebounding hurts. Now defense hurts. The things that BYU has won games on. It's, it's a massive loss, dude. I've got good news for you, Jerem. Uh, I saw last night on Twitter, and everything is factual on Twitter, that there is a young man in the current transfer portal named oh Broly Children. Yep. And he's available. <laughs> he's available And eligible right now. immediately. Yeah. Broly Children coming oh back to BYU. That's the uh, Again, I, I say that for some levity because this is a very, very unfortunate and heartbreaking situation. Uh, watching Gavin leave the floor last night from a close proximity was, I mean <laughs> – the wrong word to use here is probably painful because it was emotionally painful yep. and he's experiencing serious pain right there. Well, emotionally. Good oh, gosh. my goodness. Like physically, yes, he just, but emotionally. The way he laid on the floor. He's probably done f- for his career. That, that's the thing. Is he, is he just done again for the season? Does he pull a Taysom Hill or try and pull a Taysom Hill and come back from another season-ending injury? I don't think so. He had kind of declared two years ago, I'm not going to be here beyond four years. <sighs> Man. And so it might be the season-ender. Who knows? Well, and, and I, mean, I hate it. Under. I hate it for Gavin for multiple reasons. Um, obviously, basketball, but now it just we're looking at ten to twelve months of rehab just to get back to normal life. Yes, I mean, people are like, "Oh, we'll welcome you back. Come back and play more basketball." Like he still has to rehab just to get back to normal life. I'm not sure he wants to. Oh, and you know he's who knows he's just got so much significant time now required to rehab that knee. Just to be able to walk again normally. He was playing so well. Too. I know, and playing ah. such a high level. So, yes, the bigger loss is Gavin Baxter. I'm not ready to go to where you are, which is, oh man, BYU's a bubblicious team. I still think this BYU team will be a tournament team. Can they hold on to the ranking now, though? It, yeah, can BYU they, go to like 21. Can they beat Missouri State and stay in the top 25? If you can't beat Missouri State on the road, you got issues, man. Well, Missouri State's not a world beater. Is Missouri State? Better than we thought Utah Valley was, because BYU was a thirteen and a half point favorite against Utah Valley. I mean, what are they going to be I against don't think, Missouri State? I don't think BYU is the team that beat Oregon, and I don't think they're the team that lost to Utah Valley. I think they're the team that's played in all the other games. That's the BYU team. They but play defense and now, they, they rebound. And yes, but, I know Gavin but those two things are affected now. Yeah, it's different. And the fact that Gideon George wasn't healthy last night that. That's a big deal, too. And that's a good point, which I was going to bring up, is Gideon George will be back. And at some point, we think the BYU basketball team as a whole will be healthier. And we learned that from the coaches that a bunch of guys were sick last night. That came in late. And I know Mark Pope was like, I don't want to bank on that as an excuse. You still need to beat Utah Valley. Got to find a way. You still need to beat Utah Valley. They almost did with as bad as everything was. No moral victory there, though. Zero, almost. Yeah. Horseshoes and hand grenades, man. So, again, I'm not ready to hit the emergency button on... Well, okay, so let's address what really happened against UVU. Okay, okay we've got the will of accountability here. Okay, we spin okay. it, we discuss. Okay, Number let's go. of options. Okay, let's just go. let's just give you an idea of a few of these. Let's just spin uh, it. Let's go. The refs, the Revengers, sickness, uh, crazy environment, AMAC, Fardaws. Spoiler alert. Okay. Let's go. Let's spin right. it. Let's spin the wheel. Let's go. What's the All real right. reason BYU lost to UVU? Let's see here. Fate will decide. Baxter <laughs> injury. We Kevin talked about it. Yep. Baxter we, injury. We, we talked about it. Which yep. is fitting. Yep. Okay, All right. What, How about curse of the mark? Okay, lay this one out. This is unbelievable. Another I gotta mark. i got to move this. It's There's a sh- uh, shadow on your face. Okay, another head coach named Mark at Utah Valley. 
beats BYU with former BYU players, Mm -hmm. a former NBA player Mm -hmm. who was not a BYU guy or not a Utah basketball guy for that matter, does it again. Just these crazy... The curse of Mark. Yes. These <laughs> tie-overs between Mark Madsen and Mark Pope. And uh, the Wolverines get it done again. All right. The spin the wheel Mark. again. It Let's happened. go. That was a weak spin, but we don't have time here. The road game. Ro- road game. So BYU played five of its first six at home. The one was semi-away in Portland, took care of business against Oregon. At Utah, tougher game. BYU played well down the stretch, one by 11. This was... This was a true road game. Those are harder. BYU still should have won this game, but it was definitely harder than it I thought it would be, and then I didn't think BYU would lose. So, yeah, road games. And BYU it, plays another road game on Saturday. It it was, I mentioned before, legit hostile road environment, I which told, I did not think it was going to be. I told Tijon uh, Lucas, I almost said Karoma, I said this is going to feel like a state championship game. Like that's the vibe you're going to get mm. there. Yeah. All right, the wheel goes again. We're, we're going little spins here. Okay, elevation. <laughs> 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 it is like 140 it's a, feet higher at Orem than no, it is in no, Provo. It's down. There's no way it's higher. It's down. What are you talking about? It's down. Are you sure? Oh, 100%. You go towards the lake. Poor shooting. Uh, to me, this is the number one reason BYU lost. Like, Poor shooting. Like you could argue the Gavin injury eight minutes into the game is perhaps the number one the reason. The emotional toll that the Gavin yeah, Baxter totally. injury took on the BYU team was the most significant thing I saw. Okay. Just the wind went out of the sails. Okay. I still think BYU should make baskets when they shoot. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay. like emotionally, you're in a bad spot. You've, that, does that change your form suddenly? Okay. Like, what happened? Okay. Um, I think BYU shooting 32% was bad. BYU didn't make another shot. Um, made one field goal the last eight ten, and it was Spencer Johnson to tie the game after missing those two free throws. Which hey, that was a couple of bricks. That was bad, but he made up for it. But he did. He got an luckily overtime. the ball goes out of bounds. Crazy. Uh, it's, it's been confirmed to me, Jerem. Elevation in Orem City at an average four thousand seven hundred seventy four. Orem City, yes, but not okay. that arena. Provo forty five fifty one. So there is a two hundred okay. difference there. <laughs> <laughs> the the arena you still is have to downhill. go down the hill to Provo to BYU. There is a significant. Oh, drop. I get it now. Yes, I get it now. Yes, you're right. You crest and then you go over. <laughs> you're right. Thank you. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> this is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Joining us now in the studio, Bizzle, is our dual threat analyst, Uncle B, Blaine Fowler, a national champion, all-around good man. You won the national championship. That's pretty cool, man. I feel lower than you guys today. Am I lower than you guys? Your, Here, page, I'm, I'm your paycheck's to, not I'll lower. Slouch a little bit That's so you don't – yeah. There you go. Wait. Okay. I feel better. You feel better? I just, I want to be on your level. Equal? I want to be on your level. Blaine, no, it has nothing to do with you. I just want to be on your level. We want to be on your level. Good <laughs> So, yeah. I feel better now. Fantastic. <laughs> we just outlined what we think is going to happen in the New Year's Six rankings tonight as far as it pertains to BYU. We think the Cougars are going to come in at number 12 and jump Oklahoma, who just lost their head coach and <laughs> shot at the Big 12 title of losing to Oklahoma State. Shot at the SEC title in a couple of years, too. Hey, 
Blaine, is, is there any reason to believe that BYU would not jump at least one spot and be number 12 tonight? I, I believe they'll be 12 tonight. I, you know, whenever we get to the end of the week, I go and look at every single projection from every national pundit to, to see. And we have to only give that so much weight because, remember, these are the same people that said that the over-under for BYU was 6.5 games to win this year. So, although there, did? there's a lot, no, all of all of the oh, you're saying the national the pundits, like so, I'm talking about Sports Illustrated and CBS Sports and yep. ESPN, and all of these, you know, yep. you go look and just see what they're thinking, and so then, then I, I have to remind myself that oh yeah, these are the same people that said BYU was going to win six and a half games this year. Although I do think there's a lot more believers, and um, almost everybody has them at, at twelve. Tonight, which which I think is is where they're going to be. Then the big question is: Is that enough to get them into a New Year's Six with ten wins and and being at number twelve? I, I saw as you were outlining um, a scenario where they get to eleven. At this point, every single spot makes a makes a difference. Huge eleven difference. is a big difference yes. from twelve now. Yep. yep. Right. Then then they don't have. I see a lot of these that have the the number two team in the ACC in instead of BYU with an number at-large. two ACC team. Yeah, no, no. like like which is like come on, it's champ only. Right. So come on, like why why are you even doing that? There's some East Coast bias in some of these. You don't understand how it works if right. you think the ACC number two, is right, going, or Pac-12 number two. Exactly. No. And so, but there are some, and I'm just going, what, what are these people like? And these are national <laughs> national writers, and I'm going, come on. Like that's not happening, right? We tried to outline this thanks to Spencer, you know, on his New Year's Six soapbox of like what what bowls are attached to what conferences, right? And what are at large, right? It's Peach and Fiesta. There are four at large spots. Notre Dame's getting one. ACC champs getting one, and then probably Big Ten three is getting yeah, one. Michigan yeah, Michigan State. Oh yeah, and, and maybe Big Twelve two. Like th- yeah, that's depending the, that, on what right, happens right, with Oklahoma right. State that, and Baylor. That's the trouble is Big Ten three and Big Twelve two. Yep. My my favorite um, one that I looked at this weekend was Sports Illustrated because they had BYU in the Peach Bowl, which was so th- they're my favorite. Right Not now. even Fiesta <laughs> Peach. They're they're my favorite right yeah. now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and and so I think that that your scenario is very legitimate scenario. That's a, that's a great possibility um, that they get to eleven in the final ranking, and if they, if they get to eleven. Man, shot, you, you, man, you'd have a lot of excuses to be making as a committee to not put BYU in yes. when they're at 11 with a 10-2 and two record um, and having beaten either the, well, first of all, Pac-12 South champion, but possibly in, the Pac-12 in, and probably the Pac-12 champion, right? Probably, yeah. And, and the second-best team in the South and the third-best team in the South and the second-best team in the North. And 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 so, and I know one of the problems is, is the Pac-12's devaluated itself a little bit, which hurts BYU. Yes, in this, this will be what the Big 12 becomes, by the way. Right. No great team, but a bunch of very good teams. Yeah, yep. yeah. So I, I I think there's a legit shot. Like, I don't think – like, three weeks ago we are going, man, you it's a long, a legit long, shot? long, long shot. I don't think it's quite as long as we think because the scenario that you laid out is not a crazy scenario for them right. to get to 11. Okay. At, at 12, I still think it's – you know, there's – there's too much margin for error for me to be really, really confident. But I think there's a legitimate shot that exactly the scenario you talk about happens and they get to 11. If they get to 11, now now I think there's a it's a legit shot. Now, the one thing that I did not mention in the opening block that is still out there is if BYU is number 12, let's say Baylor loses to Oklahoma State but didn't drop below BYU because head-to-head or whatever. At that point, the committee has done their job, but the bowl committees can take who they want. right. Right. So they could say, look, I know Baylor's 11 and BYU's 12, but Baylor has three losses. They just lost in the Big 12 championship game. 
We know that BYU brings the heat in Phoenix, and they're going to sell a ton of tickets. The heat in Phoenix. I like that. We're going to go with BYU. They have that nice. opportunity. They that, could. That'd be they nice, could. and it'd yeah. be a return from 74 for BYU. It'd be the 01 game we wanted that and would didn't be really get, fun. right? Yeah. Um, it'd be the 2014 game we were hoping for. Sure. That, that would be amazing. And I know some people think, well, BYU's not a Power 5 school. They're not going to want to take the money away from the Power 5. But is going to the Big 12, so does that ideology kind of goal. I think it cha- I think it changes the mentality. I agree. I think the whole discussion about BYU this year from the time the Big 12 was announced all of a sudden BYU got treated differently. They're not even in yet, but I feel like on a national basis and I feel like the committee what they were telling us last year we didn't like. BYU didn't play anybody. They didn't play any P5s, right? The committee has kind of put their money where their mouth is this year. They've rewarded BYU for playing seven P5s. Yes. And, and for being 6-1 and one and for being 5-0 and oh against the Pac-12. We'll see if they reward them again tonight for being 5-0 oh against the Pac-12 and move them up to 12. So far, the, the committee has been consistent. The very things that we were upset with them about last year, they they – They've put up this year. They've said, they've said, listen, last year we didn't put you here because of this. This year the schedule is different. Um, Last year, now we see it was not an aberration. I also think it helps. And you think that these guys don't look this in depth. I think they do. The teams that BYU beat last year, because you build one year onto the next, right? You stand on the shoulders of last year. All of a sudden, like UTSA is really like eleven and one. San Diego State eleven and yeah, one. These Houston. schools, right? Houston, the schools that BYU beat one, last year one, right? are really good this year. Yep. Again. Yep. And so, so they're going. Well, you know what? Maybe, la- maybe last year's eleven and one was better than we gave them credit for. Because look at these schools, and now they just proved it. Because they went out and played basically a P five schedule. They played schedule as if they were in in any well, not, not like short, the SEC was, or the Big Ten. That but was it. hey. This schedule is as tough as anybody that played in the ACC. This schedule is as tough as anybody that play, played in the Pac-12. And yes. so I think that committee is giving them credit, and we'll see tonight if they do. And then and then we'll see if Baylor loses in that in that game to Oklahoma State, if BYU moves in front a two-loss BYU team ahead of a three-loss Baylor team. I think they would, um, yes. based on what they've done so far this season. That That's a great point. And what we don't want to acknowledge is that Coastal was actually good, too. Like, the one loss was to a team that was good. <laughs> yeah, uh, they we, were really we, good. We don't want to say it, but it's true. Okay, let's talk hoops. Uh, BYU's up to number 12, Blaine. They make this massive wow. jump from 18 to 12. Highest ranking at this point of the season ever. How high can this team go right now? See, from a talent perspective, I think that that ranking's right. From where they're at, um, and this is just from talking to Mark Pope. Mark, Mark Pope says, um, hey, we're good. We're, this is a good basketball team. We have a ton of talent, but we're nowhere close to as good as we're going to be. Whoa, what? He, he told me four games ago, give us five or six more games, and then I think we're going to have a chance to be who we're going to be. I was going, whoa, they're already really good because this is a team that can win games when they're not shooting it well, uh, which which is a big difference because then you don't lose games you're not supposed to lose. You you go on the road and you play and you're not shooting it great, and but all of a sudden you lock a team down. B- BYU's phenomenal offensive rebounding and offensive rebounding, so they, when they're not making shots, they get second opportunities. They're they're really highly ranked in rebounding margin. Their assisted turnover rates, like all the assisted turnover ratios, top 25, and so all of the little things that you have to do to win when you're not shooting it well. Those things that San Diego State, for instance, is good at every single solitary year where we're usually like, hey, you know, BYU just needs to go score 85 points a game and shoot yep. great from three, and that's how they win. And then they have an off-shooting night, and they lose on the road to a team they're not supposed to lose to. That's not this team. 
This team legitimately could go on the road, shoot terrible, and win. That happened <laughs> Saturday. It's right? Two threes. Right. And so and so what, what Mark's saying is offensively, um, they just need a little time. There's so many new pieces that guys are still a little bit hesitant. Like, well, wait a minute. Is this my shot or is this not my shot? And if you're not shooting with confidence in rhythm, knowing this is – like the, the minute the ball's being either kicked out to you or coming on the swing to you, where you know as soon as I touch the ball, I'm shooting this. This is my shot in this offense. They're still not quite there yet with some of these guys. Foos is getting better every minute of every game, right? Um, uh, Tijon – He's almost there, but he's not as good as he's going to be yet because he still hesitates once in a while on whether or not it's his or not. He's dramatically better now than he was to start the season because he's understanding his role. And he and Alex are figuring out how to play together. Gavin Baxter's minutes are increasing. Wait till Gavin can play 28 minutes a game because mm-hmm. he's a force out Great there, point. right? Running the floor. And, and, and Atiki, he's going to get more and more minutes because he's going to understand defensive rotations and how he's supposed to defend the ball screens and because he's getting better. Every game. So there's a lot of young pieces. There's a lot of new pieces. And I'll tell you a guy that I think before the season's over, we're going to go, whoa, that guy's good. And right now we're going, oh, how good is he? Is Seneca Knight. Because he's, he's be, in my opinion, behind Lucas in understanding his role. But he's a crazy skilled player, right? And then some of the our good three-point shooters, Travenel's not quite shooting it the way I think he's going to shoot it when he figures out how this team works offensively. Um I love the way Spencer Johnson's playing. He's yep. figured out his role. Yep. That guy's playing at a really high level. A lot of confidence. On, on both sides of the ball, right? We've always known he's a great defender. So I think 12's legit. Um, can they be higher than that? If this offense can come together the way I think it can and the way Mark Pope thinks it can to match the little things they're doing, like rebounding the basketball and playing defense and you know keeping teams down in terms of scoring. This is a really good team in scoring defense, right? Um, 59 points yeah, a game. This, this can be a legit top 12 basketball team all season long. Um, I think they have to shoot the ball better, especially from three, if they want to make noise in the NCAA tournament. But I, this, is, this is a very talented, maybe most athletic top-to-bottom basketball team BYU's had. Wow. I mean, based on the ranking – the Cougars are pacing for a three or a four seed in the NCAA tournament. Which now we're talking about crazy. a Sweet Sixteen, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. If that's the case, man. Yeah, great stuff from BYU basketball and football and everybody across the athletic department in no loss did, November. Did we ever figure out? Have any other programs? I don't know. Like it's crazy to me. All sports, no losses in a whole month. I, I don't. I can't it's, recall. It'd that be that hard to know. Well, especially that, you know. And, and I would say November might be the hardest month to do that in, and the reason is. Basketball's in full swing. Football's still going. Women's basketball's in full swing. Soccer's still going. Soccer, in the NCAA right, tournament. Right. And you're, and so you're late in the season, yes. right? And so football's late in the season. That's that. Is it a harder month of the year <laughs> for a full athletic program in college to go without a single loss? I'm not sure that there is, and I, I'd be interested. We have to put our researchers on it. Has anybody else done that? We need researchers to do we that. We need way. researchers because we don't have the time. <laughs> so we've got time to make banners and stuff. Yes, we do. <laughs> we have time to we have time to look at all the New Year's Six and New Year's Six stuff, but not that. <laughs> yes, Lane. Thanks. Look forward to after further review tonight. Thanks, guys. And BYU of you tomorrow. Let's go, baby. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. 
With Kalani Satake's stock rising, he has been a very, very popular candidate to potentially replace all of these major positions around college football that have opened up. But, Dave, we have seen in recent days a lot of these big-time jobs get filled at USC and at LSU and Penn Notre State. Notre Dame today. Michigan State are hanging on to their guys. Notre Dame has now found their guy in Marcus Freeman. So does this lessen the anxiety level for you surrounding Kalani that maybe some very significant and wealthy suitor comes in and says, we will give you more money than you know what to do with Kalani? Yes, yes. Is it this? You feel less yeah. anxiety. There, there are no suitcases in his car. Um, and I'm not sure there ever were any. Uh, outside of the inner circle, it makes for great radio and newspaper articles of what if and oh no and and uh, how do I get a fan base jacked up so I can have a radio show today? I'm going to tell them it's probably going to happen even though I have no idea. <laughs> and so that's what's gone on the last few weeks. And it's in every market wherever there's a big coach and wherever there's a fan base that fears that someday their guy is going gonna, is gonna to leave. And I think that's what we've seen here. I think uh, I think it's been documented on this show and 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 some of the people that actually know what's going on. That hey, there needs to be uh, more money for staff. Yes, there needs to be more staffers. And and I say that because they're they're preparing for a Big Twelve staff, not a Mountain West staff or an independent no. staff. And, and it's um, minuscule compared to those Power right. Five programs. And the budget's going to grow, and you've got to project. What you're going to pay with the projection of the budget coming in to keep the guys that, that you really, really want. And some are going to leave for better jobs on staff. More power to them. That's why they're in the business. Everyone wants to be a head coach. Yeah. So you got to do some things to become a head coach. But BYU's head coach um, loves it here, has always loved it here, has had some points that he's needed to get addressed. I believe those have been addressed. We'll see in the coming days. But uh, I have zero anxiety that Kalani's going to not be at BYU for a number of years or until he decides someday that maybe he's going to surprise everyone and retire okay. like Bronco did. You know, I, 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 that, I have zero anxiety for that. I'm with you on that anxiety level spectrum. Kalani Satake is going to remain at BYU. Let, let's just go ahead and say it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'm not going to be wrong. He's staying at BYU. He's, he has so much going here with the transition to the Big 12. And if, as you said, Dave, he has his bullet points of what he needs now fulfilled, and we will find out if those things have happened, if a contract extension has been offered and accepted in the, in the coming days, but if those bullet points have been hit, then why would you go anywhere? Look at what's happened to recruiting. He's won 21 of his last 24 games. He's been in every college football playoff poll in the last two years. It's unbelievable. Finally got the monkey off the back of beating Utah. BYU's independence has been fulfilled. The reason to go independent was to make yourselves more viable for a Power Five conference, and it happened. And I think what I what I love is that uh, he's an example, and and Mark Pope's another example of two guys who get paid really well, and uh, and they know that. Um, and the fact that they love their job trumps the fact that they could go out and make more money. It's such a big deal in life. Uh, to enjoy where you are uh, and be compensated where you feel like you're respected, and, and that, can always, that can always improve. But to, to chase the $100 million thing um, and leave what you love, hoping that money makes you love this place over here, that's not the guarantee. What is a guarantee is, I really love my job here. I get paid well, and now I'm going to get more for my staff. This is good. 
You know, there's actually more to do with life than actually coaching football. Yes. But I get to do this and live that part of my life, which is a little more important. Man, that's more than worth a hundred million dollars. Yeah. I don't as care. Long as, you're, as long as you're paid fairly. I don't care if the Oregon job comes open and Mario Cristobal ends up in Miami. Kyle Whittingham retires and leaves Utah. I feel confident Kalani is remaining at BYU. What we do know is that Bronco Mendenhall is not going to stay at the University of Virginia, which kind of came out of nowhere yesterday and took the college football world by absolute surprise. But his motivations for leaving Virginia are very different than most coaches right. leaving for those $100 million jobs at USC and LSU. Now, we have to wonder what the Bronco situation at Virginia with his staff full of so many former BYU players and guys that love Provo and love the stretch Y, what does that mean for them? And we're not, you know, we're not, we, we can sit here and point to Kalani, but every m- member of his staff that's been here for two years, they've also won 21 of the last 24. Yes, they have. Their Both stock sides is, of the ball. Their stock is rising, and there are coaching jobs opening up in the Mountain West of Colorado State, Fresno specifically State. yesterday in Fresno State. Does that mean that maybe some of Kalani's staff leaves and takes some of those jobs, opening up maybe a position where some of the Virginia guys yeah. can come back to BYU? I think that does. I think that does. I think there will be some on this current staff that uh, go to get jobs that they see as better, that pay them more and give them an opportunity, especially those who want to be head coaches. I think the opportunity's there. And if I'm a, any kind of a Mountain West coach, for example, and I have an opening, I'm coming right to BYU and I say, I want a piece of that. Yeah. 21 and three, I want a piece of that. Um, and so I think, I think we'll see some movement there, which, which might open some doors for some guys to come back. Uh, that's the joy and the sorrow of being successful. And BYU is successful. And so I think we're going to see some of that. Well, I can tell you this much. I know some BYU fans were like, what if Bronco Mendenhall came back and was Kalani's defensive coordinator? It's not happening. No. It's not happening. No, and he's not going to the U either to succeed Whittingham. It's just a couple <laughs> of things that aren't going to happen. Those are two of them. There you go. Oh, the coaching carousel. Fantastic time of year with BYU sports and – So much speculation about what happens there. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. The young lady who started the scoring for BYU women's soccer on Saturday night in that Elite Eight dominant performance, 4-1 over South Carolina. Her name is McKaylee Moore. McKaylee, congratulations first and foremost on BYU's first ever College Cup entrance. So awesome. Thank you. We're super excited, and it still doesn't even feel real a few days later. (laughs) I know, right? Um, Saturday we knew it was going to be epic and crazy. It sold out in like three hours. Uh, South Carolina has a couple of corner kicks. The pressure's on. And then that breakout was incredible, the, the counter. And then once, once you get in position where uh, McKaylee hands it off to you, and then, boom, you kick it in. What's that moment like for you in yeah. front of that crowd in the Elite Eight? Well, Kayla dribbled, like, literally the entire field. She got the <laughs> ball, like, in the other team's box, and I just saw her, like, sprinting up the field, and I'm like, oh, crap, I better get up. Got to be a support for her. And when she played the ball, I was just focused, like, good first touch and, like, get a shot on frame and – I didn't even know because I'd kind of like fallen over that it had gone in, but the crowd went crazy. So I like looked around the defender and I was like, oh, I must have scored. <laughs> Delayed reaction. They're, they're not going crazy for a miss. I'll tell you that. Yeah, what was that like emotionally to uh, know that the stakes are so high 
and you came up big with a, a huge goal to start things. It was awesome. I mean, I was super happy to be able to help out the team, and I'm, I don't think we've ever played in my five years with a crowd that big. And so it just made it so awesome. Like people were literally sitting behind the goal on the ground and I didn't even know that was allowed. So it was crazy and it honestly felt like a dream. I like ran over to the bench to like celebrate with some of my, with the team and like some of my friends and it was just like crazy. I had so much adrenaline. <laughs> Seriously. Understandably. Amazing. Well, speaking of adrenaline, you also pick up your first ever yellow card in the match, McKaylee. <laughs> this, this is becoming an all-time memory for you. What happened on that play to get your first ever <laughs> yellow card in college? I was honestly excited. Cap off my career at Southfield with a yellow card. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably the highlight of the game for me. I thought it was a little bit soft. I was a little bit surprised I got it, but I'll take it. You ran into the goalie, and South Carolina had to get something because they didn't come away with a win. They got a yellow on you, I guess. When's the last yellow card you had? I probably had one when I was 12, and it was my <laughs> it was my only other yellow, and I did the same thing. I ran into the keeper. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I, you know, I was joking on the broadcast. I was like, McKaylee's not one to get yellows, not knowing that fact, but geez. But I was like, she needs to be careful because if she accidentally gets another one, she'd be out for the uh, semifinal. So I'm glad you get, when you got pulled out, I was like, good. Get, you know get what? Out get her out of here. Save her for the, uh, for the college cup. You guys, the stars aligned here because um, many of you came back this year when you didn't have to, right? Got the extra COVID year. What was the conversation like last year after you lose to Virginia going into this year of like, hey, no, let's, let's bring it back and let's, and then you get Virginia in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, so after the Virginia game, um, I don't know if people watched, but like the first 20 minutes we dominated. We had all the shots. We had all the momentum. We hit the post. We hit the crossbar. Like, So after the game, it was pretty disappointing that we knew we could compete with those types of teams. And Santa Clara won it all, and we had lost to them and beat them last season. So it was like, hey, we're one of the top teams. And so after the game, me, Cam, and Kayla, like, we're all pretty upset. And we talked, and we're like, hey, we – like, we could really do this with this team because we only lost two players from the spring to now. And so we're like, hey, if we if we work hard over the summer and we put it together, like, we could win a national championship. And so it was – we call it our revenge tour because we had Virginia. Now we have Santa Clara. We lost to Santa Clara previously this year on a close game. So we're just – we're coming for everyone. We're, we're here to win a national championship. I love that. And so you, you had that conversation – as the leadership of the team early, what was it, May or something when the NCAA tournament was? Like, was? I'm trying to remember. April, yeah, May? It was it was April like or May? Beginning of May, I think. Yeah. But okay. after the yeah. game, we were kind of like, all right. Because I was kind of debating, like, oh, should I come back? Should I not? Like, yeah. I could have graduated, but it's like, oh, no. Like, we felt like we had some unfinished business here. And Kim and Kayla have been so awesome the entire season. So it's, it's been a great group. I hate to even think about if you decided not to come back. We wouldn't be sitting here <laughs> discussing this. Right. You know, and your performance in the Elite Eight, which gets BYU, you know, historically the first ever College Cup entrance. And, you know, what was it like? Take us to the moment when you wrap that up and you see your coach, Jen Rockwood, who had not been to a College Cup, and you see her celebrating with certain people. So you're falling down. Yeah, what? (laughs) That was funny. Kayla tackling her and her sinking to the ground. (laughs) Jen thought she could hold her up, and Jen fell down. That's hilarious. Oh, I heard, and I saw. What what was that moment like when when it came to, you know, the realization, like, we're in the Final Four? I mean, I don't know if we've still, like, if it's still set in for me, but (laughs) we were super happy, especially for Jen. She's done so much for our program over the – 
I mean, I don't even know how long she's been here, but 27 years, 27 years. So a little bit older well, than that's I. A, yeah, that's as the head coach. I mean, it's more than that since you showed up here, but yeah. Yeah, so it was just super awesome like, hey, we can get this for Jen. Like, we knew we had the potential, but like, hey, let's put it all together so she can kind of have this super awesome like accolade to her amazing career here at BYU and honestly, Jen has been awesome and I think the seniors really realize how much effort she's put into this program and how much dedication and time to get us like cool Jordans or to get us you know the gear and make sure we're all taken care of she's kind of like the mom of our team make sure everyone's doing good and so I think it was the least we could do for her is to put a good performance together and take her someplace she's never been before oh man it's amazing okay Friday night 9 30 Eastern you can listen to it on BYU radio it'll be on any ESPN I can't remember which one what's going to take to beat Santa Clara on their home field in the Final Four. In the Revenge Tour. <laughs> in the Revenge Tour. I think it'll just be a strong start. Like That's what we've really been focusing on this season is just getting off to a strong start, making sure that we come out with good defensive pressure. That's kind of how we scored in the Virginia game. Um, but, yeah, if we can put one in early, it really just changes the game for us. So, But, I mean, just keep doing what we're doing. We're, we're rolling right now, and we couldn't really ask to be in a better spot to take on Santa Clara. Let's give you some BYU Sports Nation karma. You take it back to your team. You take it to Santa Clara. They're Let's not go. just happy to be there. They're going to go win this thing. Let's I go. I love it. Yeah. McKaylee, thanks for coming in. Thank you, thanks. guys. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The Cougar Whip Around presented by Visible Supply Chain Management tackling America's most challenging shipping problems. Dave, lead us off. Last night, our friend Gavin Baxter put out a tweet that said, thank you, Cougar Nation. I had fun. Does this signal the end of Baxter's BYU career? I think it likely does. Selfishly, I don't want it to. You know, I'm listening to some doctor's opinion saying, look, it was his other knee. He had his one knee, his right knee already surgically repaired. Let's repair the left knee. And then he's good. Then he can play some more. But uh, I just think this this is it. The other side of that is he already knows what it's like to rehab one knee and yes. how painful that is. And now he's got to rehab it another way. And if, you have to rehab it differently if you're coming back to competition as opposed to just living your life. Yep. Um, and before the injury, he had indicated that even though he has another year, due to COVID, that he wasn't going to come back for next year. I, I, let's hope he comes back. There's always the chance that he can. Sure. But he's got a painful road of rehab ahead, and uh, our hearts go out to him. And he is the emotional leader of that team. Richie Harward was the emotional leader. Gavin is the kind of leader they all watched come back twice from the brink. And then to play and, and the lift, and I think that was the most deflating, was the emotional deflation of watching him laying on the floor oh, for his teammates after they watched him go through everything twice just to be able to join yeah. them. And uh, it's a total gut punch, but uh, Gavin's a fighter. He's got big things coming up, and uh, we wish him the very best. Speaking of fighting, Utah State fans are ready to fight Randy Bennett, <laughs> the head coach of St. Mary's. Come on, Randy. <laughs> after a heated exchange and an emotional, controversial finish in Logan last night, a St. Mary's winner, Randy Bennett, was pouring it on, egging on the fans, leaving the arena. Who has a stronger dislike for Randy Bennett right now, Dave? Is it BYU fans or Utah State fans? Here's the thing about Randy. We've all interviewed him one-on-one. -on -one. He's delightful. Yeah, he's great. He's great to hang out with. He shares stories. He, he this and that. But then he gets on the court and he gets in the 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 costume that he's got on and something changes. 
<laughs> and man, he ticked off everybody at the Spectrum last night. He's got enough friends because he obviously wasn't going to Logan looking for new friends. No, not at all. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, recency bias. Utah State fans probably are feeling a more intense uh, vitriol <laughs> for Randy Bennett. But that'll change when St. Mary's visits the Marriott oh, Center man. in Provo this year. When I think of the name Randy, I think of Ralphie, and Randy's his little brother uh, with the Christmas story. <laughs> and I said, Randy, come on, Randy. Anyway, that's how oh, he rolls. Okay. Joey Brackets has BYU as a seven seed in the latest bracket out this morning. That's after the loss at Utah Valley. Okay. He's got the WCC as a four-bid conference. Whoa. Four bids would be one more than the three Pac-12 bids that are currently projected. So the question becomes, <laughs> is the Conference of Champions even relevant anymore <laughs> when stacked up to either BYU in football or the WCC in basketball? Right now, the Pac-12 is secondary to the West Coast Conference. A four-bid league as a non-Power 6 conference in college basketball? That's amazing. Yeah. And... and- they're just getting better. Gonzaga's not going to be worse. St. Mary's, that's a big win up at Spectrum last night. Um, and uh, and BYU, but some big games still ahead. They'll start there on in the top 15. And then Pepperdine and some of the San Francisco, I think, still undefeated. All of the major college basketball reporters and analysts are calling this the year of the WCC. This isn't even a narrative that it's being that's being driven by the hype train in Studio B of BYU Sports Nation. They started it. It's John Rothstein, and it's Jeff Goodman, and all of those guys, and Seth Greenberg. They're all calling this the year of the WCC. So right now, yeah, the Pac-12 is secondary to the West Coast Conference. I was more excited about that upcoming game with Gonzaga, the upcoming two games with Gonzaga, and maybe three games with Gonzaga before uh, Gavin Baxter's injury. Now, we should also note BYU women's basketball and the latest Charlie Cream women's bracketology on ESPN is a five seed. Five seed for the women, seven seed for the men. Good positions to be in. Yeah, they never respect the West, so it's nice to see them knowing there are good basketball teams out here that aren't named Stanford. <laughs> uh, and, and BYU is legit. Chance to go 8-0 against another P5. Happens to be in the Pac-12 uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, on Saturday night. We wish him well up in Salt Lake. All lining up for another super Saturday of BYU sports. I wore the shirt I have on for very obvious reasons today. Is Taysom everyone getting Hill. a good shot of that? Can you? The hurdle. That's, that's the hurdle. Over the University of Texas, you can make an argument that Texas's football program has never been the same since they met Taysom Hill. Seriously. <laughs> Just to the right of that picture is Blaine and myself watching him <laughs> do that while we were down there. For, uh, for C2K, and uh, phenomenal. And then, last night he does it yeah, again. What was your reaction when you saw him do it again? I said, I've seen this picture uh-huh. before. It was and beautiful. And so then I got out my phone, and I tweeted him, put him side by side, and then all of a sudden it goes, hey, wait a sec, that's Dallas, Texas. <laughs> Dallas, Texas. And uh, it's been warmly received. Every now and then a good tweet comes along. But uh, that was the fun part of last night. Mm-hmm. The less fortunate part was when Taysom hit his finger on the arm of a Cowboy pass rusher early in that game, and now that sounds like there might be some big trouble coming for Taysom. Uh, Ian Rappaport tweeting out just a short time ago, Taysom Hill feared to have suffered a torn tendon in his middle finger that may necessitate surgery at some point, sources say. More tests are coming. The injury called the mallet finger was one of the ailments that Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson had earlier this year, which That's, he still is. Yeah. He's back, but he's not back. It's caused all sorts of problems for Russell Wilson. Well. I hate this for Taysom Hill. He's been dealing with a plantar fasciitis situation in his foot. 
He obviously had a really significant and severe concussion. It's just one thing after the other. It's just bad luck. David Nixon was there to support his brother-in-law last night. And I text him, I go, I hope that finger isn't broken. And uh, now we find out that maybe a tendon in there, this might require some surgery. We'll keep you posted. I hate it. Well, we can understand uh, now more why four interceptions happened last night. I mean, he's playing with a splint on his finger with a torn tendon. Good My grief. fantasy roster thanks him for that 70-yarder, though, at the end of the game. Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks, Taysom. Would BYU Volleyball beating Boise State tonight make you feel any better about the football team <laughs> losing that game to the Broncos on that rainy, cold day where they turned it over four times? No. I wish me it, either. I wish it did make me feel better, but no. And BYU women's volleyball will beat Boise State tonight. It's yeah. going to happen. They're awesome, but it... <sighs> It does not make up for the frustration that we all feel, including BYU football heavily, about losing to the Broncos in football. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear and catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.